Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers through the power of storytelling. Each week, I'll share insightful and inspiring birth stories, along with advice from leading birth experts, all in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Waters. Let's dive into today's show. Welcome back to part two of my birth story series. In this episode, we are going to dive into the roller coaster ride of my pregnancy and birth with fraternal twins. Discovering that I was carrying twins was a huge surprise for our family, a journey I recount with honesty and transparency. Knowing that my dreams of a home birth were no longer a reality became a process of continuous grieving. However, it was a transformative conversation with a recommended doula that reignited my sense of excitement for this experience. With the support and guidance of my doula, we began a deep exploration of twin childbirth, navigating the complexities and unique considerations that come with carrying and birthing twins, ensuring that I was well-informed for the journey ahead. In today's episode, I'll walk you through the mental and emotional challenges I faced as my pregnancy reached its 40th week, igniting a massive season of personal growth and development, pushing me into uncharted territories of self-discovery. By sharing my experience, I hope to provide insights and encouragement for others to explore their own paths in pregnancy and childbirth with confidence and curiosity. Enjoy the episode. Okay, so my twins' birth journey. Let's start at the beginning. This is a funny one. Okay, so Dale and I knew that we always wanted to have our babies close together. Keep in mind, we didn't know we would ever have multiples. Um, And we did plan on having three children. That was always our ultimate number. Um, But yeah, obviously we didn't know that was going to happen straight away. So we fell pregnant. I think it took us six months that time. And um, again, I was just like, why is this not happening? This is crazy. Um, But I got to a point, I think it was the three month mark. I said to Dow, you know what? Let's just, I'm just going to stop focusing on this and really just sink into it because we we were being a little bit unromantic and I was planning a lot of our procreation time. Um, so I took the pressure off and we just kind of, you know, went with the flow and 
three months on the third try, I fell pregnant with the twins. And look, I can, Dale and I can both pinpoint exactly when I was pre- when I was um, ovulating with those babies because I had two eggs, and my body was responding to those two eggs in a way that you know I need to fertilize these babies. Um, so Dale, the poor thing, could not for forty eight hours. He literally could not even breathe in my direction, and I was like, "Let's go." So I, you know, I look back on it now and I can laugh and and see what was happening. But in the moment, I was just like, wow, I'm really ravenous. This is crazy. Um, And it was overboard because poor Dale was just like, please, no more, no more. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, And yeah, I felt pregnant. And then let's fast forward to six weeks. I already knew I was pregnant and I ended up having a bleed. So I, by that point, I knew a little bit more about physiological birth. I had a lot of, I had a new mum friend group that, um, all the mummers had, you know, birthed naturally. They'd all birthed within a hospital, but they'd all birthed naturally. And I'd learned a lot through them about physiological birth and trusting birth and, So my perception on birth was a lot different by this point. So when I began to bleed, it wasn't a lot of blood, but it also wasn't, it wouldn't have been classified as spotting. It was enough to be concerned. Um, I just believe, I put it down to the fact that, okay, this egg wasn't viable and my body's releasing it. And so when Dale said, do you want me to come to the scan? Do you think it's really passed? I said, look, if the baby has passed, I'm okay. I don't need anyone with me, which on reflection now, I probably see that as a coping mechanism. Maybe I wanted to process it on my own first, which is interesting now I think about it because that's how I am in birth. I want to be alone. I'm always on my own in the beginning. And then once people start coming into my space, things begin to derail. So that's really interesting. I just wanted to point that out. Um, And, you know, if the baby's there, great, but I'm only around six weeks. So it's just going to be a tiny little pterodactyl alien. You don't need to be there. You've seen a million scans. Um, I'll just message you. So I told Dale to go to work. (laughs) Oh boy. How funny. Anyway, so off I went and the nice sonographer lady called me in And we began to do the scan and she pulled up the screen and I saw a heartbeat and I immediately took a big sigh of relief because, okay, I haven't passed this baby. So just to explain what I was seeing, um, because people are always, people always say, how did you not see the second heartbeat? So this is, you know, I could see that there was two images and in my mind, because you need to understand Not one cell in my body was going into that appointment thinking that there was a possibility I could be told I'm having twins. Not one part of me thought that. It was nowhere on my radar. That's something that happens to other people, not to me. And so when I saw the screen, yes, I could see two baby pterodactyls. But in my mind, I registered that as a split screen. So I thought the top was for one reading and the bottom was for a different reading. I mean, I don't understand any of this. So that seemed completely logical in my brain. And she 
clearly could see that I hadn't registered there was two babies. So she was very beautiful in her approach at telling me. And she said, oh, okay, you see the heartbeat? And I said, yes. And she said, and do you see the other heartbeat? And I immediately, it's like reality just slapped me in the face. It was like the curtain fell and I just started hyperventilating. And I went, oh my God, twins. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. And I just kept saying, oh my God, over and over and over. Um, and you know, the sonographer lady was so gorgeous. She really handled that like a pro. She was able to calm me down and she was very gentle in her approach with everything she said to me. And she put a pause to the scan immediately and said, listen, I want you to take a moment, take some deep breaths, go into the bathroom, grab a drink of water and just have a moment to yourself. And I was like, thank you. Thank you so much. My whole world just changed in that moment and everything I was seeing and processing felt different and I remember walking into the bathroom just in a complete daze and looking in the mirror and crying and saying what am I going to do and look I, I wish so much that I could say that that was the happiest moment of my life I wish I could say that but it, it truly wasn't and full transparency I was absolutely terrified completely terrified and I just you know I was ready for one baby and I was prepared mentally for that I knew what to expect with one baby because obviously Bella but two just felt like I was now entering unknown territory once again you know it's like that first time mama feelings except this time I knew how hard it was to look after one baby and we were adding a second one to that equation and I was freaking out um, so yeah, I don't really remember the rest of the, um, scan. I just remember her asking me, is there twins in your family? And me immediately almost yelling at her saying, absolutely not. No, there's none. Turns out there's heaps. <laughs> I didn't, I knew that there was heaps. I just, in that moment, because I was so shocked, it just, all of that information left my brain. So then I went to pay for my scan and everyone at reception knew that I had just been told I was having twins. So they're all kind of like, congratulations, but it was very obvious. I wasn't excited. <laughs> um, and then I walked out to my car and immediately called Dale and I just screamed down the phone. It's twins. We're not, we didn't lose the baby. It's twins. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? It was all very dramatic. Um, he was completely shocked as well. Obviously we kind of processed as much as we mentally could in that moment. And then I said, I'll see you when you get home, called his mum straight away because she was on call waiting to find out what had happened. And I did the same thing with her. And my biggest regret out of all of this is not filming everyone's response oh my gosh we had filmed everyone's response when we told them we were pregnant and then because I was in so much shock with finding out it was twins I didn't film anyone's response and of course you can imagine how elaborate and exciting and happy everyone was so I I just regret so much not capturing that on film to show my twins because they would have loved that um so yeah, I ended up then, as soon as I told Deb, I went and walked, my mum actually worked across the road. So I walked across there, went into her work, 
said to the lady at the counter, where's my mum? Where's Jennifer? I'm not normally that rude, just FYI. And she went, oh, oh, she's over there. And I walked up to my mum and I had the photos in my hand and I pushed it in her face. I said, it's twins, mum. I'm having twins. And I just burst into tears and mum screamed. Her work colleague came over, who she, one of her best friends, and um, she screamed and they were so excited and they could see I was just completely rattled. So they both took me upstairs into their um, lunchroom and I just cried and said, what are we going to do? I'm so scared. This is not what we were planning. I don't know, you know, how am I going to cope? And just all of the things that were running through my head and they was so beautiful and my mum you know she's the best woman in the entire world she I could not have survived the last three years without my mama and she just said Sky we're gonna get through this don't stress I'll be there to support you she has supported me so much in this last three-year experience with our twins and I honestly wouldn't have survived without her and I look forward to the day that I get to pay that forward with my own children and show them the support that my mum has shown me. I, you know, will forever be deeply grateful for not only my mum and the support she's given me, but everyone in my village. I'm very, very blessed. Um, and you need it. You really do need that village, particularly when you have multiples, but not just for multiples. For any children, we need our village. And um, that is a big driving force for my mother's gathering community, which I will link in the show notes for anyone interested. Um, my best friend, Roxy Belford and I, who also happens to be Dale's cousin, um, we are both so passionate about women finding their village and, you know, mothering in community. And even though we are very much focused on providing that village essence to the women in our immediate community, our dream is to bring that to an online space as well so that everyone has access to some form of support because we really do need it as women and as mothers. If that's something that interests you, please head over and give it a follow. We will be providing information and education and tools for women to utilize in their motherhood journey. Okay, so jumping back to my story, I've just found out I'm pregnant with twins. So we ended up telling the rest of our family via text. I think I called my best friends, but the rest of our family was, they just received a text message of the scan image. And in terms of processing it, like I said, I, you know, was a bit more aware about physiological birth and how it unfolds optimally in a safe environment. Um, so I was always planning to have a home birth with my second baby. And I had kept that really private because I didn't want particularly my mum um, and our family to know that that's what we were choosing because I just didn't want anyone's opinions. But that was something I had considered already by that point. Um, and then, you know, I had to unravel my birth plans and really grieve that. So not only was there processing with the fact that we were having two babies, but I had to, yeah, I had to grieve my desired birth because I knew I just wasn't educated enough at that point to consider free birth 
with twins. I mean, I would have probably considered it with a singleton baby, which by the way, is a term that I have found only twin mamas use <laughs> the word singleton. Um, so that option was completely off the cards for me at that point. I was, I had way too much fear about twin birth and no knowledge at all about what twin birth entailed and what it meant. So, you know, I knew about singleton physiological birth, but I had no idea what that meant for twin birth, um, which is ridiculous to say now because it's no different. <laughs> it's just the same. You've just got two babies, but your body will birth those two babies. Um, so if you haven't listened to part one of this series, please head over and listen to Bella's birth first, because then a lot of the information from today's episode will make sense. Um, so yeah, I had to grieve my home birth that I had envisioned having for my next pregnancy and birth experience because I knew that that was off the cards for twins. Um, like I said, I could have free birth, but I just wouldn't have done that at that stage. So I knew the only other option I had was to enter the system and that terrified me, particularly because of all the things that happened with Bella's birth. I was really scared to go back to a maternity ward. Um, but I felt like my hands were tied and I had no other choice. So, um, if you don't know what options are available to women pregnant with multiples here in Australia, you basically have two options. You birth in the hospital or you free birth. Um, and I know free birth is probably off the cards for a lot of women because we don't have the knowledge here, particularly in Australia, around physiological twin birth. It's really hard to find stats on women who have birthed twins or multiples physiologically here because most women in Australia will choose to have a cesarean section or they choose to um, attempt a vaginal birth within the system, but it's usually highly managed and medicalized. Um, so it's really hard to get an understanding of how, you know, true physiological twin birth unfolds. And when I say that, obviously I know that birth is going to unfold the way that it's biologically built to do. You know, most women will birth twin A like any normal baby, but then it's the twin B birth that brings the anxiety because, you know, you've got to remember, obviously there's two babies in your belly. So once one of them is born, all of a sudden twin B is like, woo, look at all this space. You know, and there is, you know, babies can go transverse, which is when they go sideways. And, um, you know, in the hospital, obviously that's a risk because they time manage everything. And I believe if a woman is given enough space and time to let her body do its thing, her body will birth that baby and move her baby. And we've heard that on the podcast before where one of my gorgeous twin mama guests shared how her baby went transverse and she felt her body shift her baby into a more optimal position. I remember hearing that and the goosebumps that broke out on my body because I was just so in awe of the human body and what it can do when we trust it and don't intervene. I will link that episode in the show notes for anyone that's interested. It's a profound story to hear, even if you're not carrying twins, just to hear how incredible our bodies are. So let's talk about the risks because, you know, there's obviously got to be a reason why they want to manage these births. 
Um, and the biggest risks are obviously preterm labor, which look, if you go into spontaneous preterm labor, that's unavoidable. And thank God we've got such incredible medicine to fall back on with those kinds of outcomes. The second risk factor is low birth weight um, and the complications that can come with that. But this one's confusing because, you know, you often hear of women being offered to have cesareans as early as 35 weeks. So if low birth weight is a concern with twins, then why are we pulling these babies out so early unless there is a true medical reason to do so? Because to me, it makes more sense to leave the babies to gestate for as long as possible um, instead of just assuming that these mothers are going to experience all of these risk factors. Um, But what actually happens is There's a lot of talk about the increase of complications that can arise once you are past that 37-week mark. And um, just so you're aware, 37 weeks for twin pregnancy is considered full term. So if a mother hasn't been induced already or hasn't gone into preterm labor and hasn't booked in a cesarean and reaches that 37-week mark naturally they will usually be offered all of the above. Like, do you want to have a cesarean or let's induce you? Because there's this sense of urgency that you have to get your babies out by that point because anything further than that is dangerous. And the reason is because there is talk of you are two to three times more likely from here on out to experience stillbirth. Um, which is so scary to hear. I mean, you say that in a sentence to a pregnant mother and of course they're going to react in a shocked and fearful manner. No one wants to experience that. And as we know from my birth with Bella and my the imprints that I have from my lineage, um, losing my babies was a huge fear of mine. So when I'm sitting in front of an OB and he's telling me that you are two to three times more likely to experience stillbirth if you go over 37 weeks, yeah, that's going to make me scared. Um, And this is why I love Moran so much because she was able to take that information. She went and did her own research and she came back to me and she said, all right, let's look at this. Let's really look at this with a fine tooth comb. And when she looked at the evidence, it became very clear that that wasn't a risk. So this is why language is so important when it comes to delivering information. And this is why you should always question anything that is fed to you. Take it and go and do your own research because words are so powerful and they hold so much significance. And in my case, because I was a healthy mother, I had fraternal twins, which is where you have two separate sacs. It's not identical twins where it's one egg and that egg has split in half. So they are identical. They are one. I think that's so cool, by the way. Um, Mine were fraternal twins. Um, So I released two eggs and once they were fertilized, it was like having a two for one special. Instead of two pregnancies, I only had to have one, but I would have preferred two. (laughs) Um, But it's the safest because they are completely separate. So there's no risk of like twin to twin transfusion syndrome or um, like growth issues, that sort of thing. So based on all of that information, I was the lowest risk for pregnancy and birth. Um, And when you converted that two to three times more likely into a percentage 
I was only one to two percent chance of stillbirth. <laughs> so you have a ninety-eight to ninety-nine percent chance of not experiencing that. So all of a sudden, that doesn't sound so scary anymore. So this is just your, you know, gentle reminder to always do your own research when it comes to any information that is given to you. Um, because I'm not trying to debunk all of these risks. There absolutely are risks when it comes to multiples, 100%. But there is with all birth, you know. So um, finding out where you as an individual fall on that risk scale is so important because um a hospital is risk averse. They are just going to slap that label on you and then you fall under the same category as everyone else. There is no individual assessment. So it really is your responsibility to take the information that you have, figure out where you personally fall on this scale and then make your decisions accordingly. So everyone in our um, immediate world knew um, we hadn't told the extended world of social media yet, um, but pretty much every person I came into contact with knew that I was pregnant with twins. <laughs> and that was a way of me processing the information. I felt like the more I spoke about it, the more I was accepting of it. Um, so my first trimester was pretty rough. I had experienced nausea with Bella's pregnant during Bella's pregnancy, as you would know. Um, but this was on another level, obviously, you know, there's two babies in there. I was feeling really unwell and I was also breastfeeding Bella still at this point. So I'm sure there was depletion thrown in there also. And yeah, I really, really struggled that first trimester just to survive. I was still doing hairdressing at that point. Um, I had my best friend's wedding where I was also doing her hair. So there was just a lot of things happening. Thank God for bread rolls. That's all I'm going to say. They literally saved my life throughout that period. And I felt like that's all I could eat. And I felt so guilty about that because I knew I had to nourish these babies, but my body was just so repelled by anything healthy. Um, and then my second trimester kicked in and I started feeling better. And I thought, yes, we're in the second trimester. This is the good part. Because obviously I was comparing that, my experience with Bella. Um, and yeah, it just never really quite got to that level of glow and energy and love and appreciation that I had with Bella because I just felt so depleted all the time. I felt tired and exhausted, obviously breastfeeding and also just looking after a toddler. Um, I was just super exhausted. So, and also, you know, you've got two babies in there. So my belly by the halfway point was full term, was the same as what I was full term with Bella. So everything stretched and grew so much quicker. Um, I just felt really uncomfortable straight away, basically. So I didn't really feel like I had that moment where it was just bliss before it started getting challenging. I kind of felt like, yeah, I just kind of bypassed that stage. And I don't know, it made me a little bit sad. And I started, I started to focus on the negatives. If I'm honest, I started to Instead of seeing this beauty in, look what my body's doing, I'm carrying twins, my mindset was sort of heading towards the realm of, 
oh, this feels so different to what I experienced with Bella. And it's not as beautiful and joyful. It's actually quite challenging. Um, And instead of having the mindset of like, I'm growing twins. Of course, it's going to be challenging, but I'm growing two babies. I mean, how profound is that? Yeah, I just couldn't seem to wrap my head around things. And I guess this is, you know, like I said in my episode with Bella's birth, pregnancy and birth are these, you know, experiences that where we get to really dive into the core of who we are and learn about ourselves on a level that we, you know, weren't aware of previously. There's a really powerful statement going around in the birth world at the moment that the way you live is the way you birth. And that resonated so deeply with me when I first read it because it's so true. Bringing it back to my story, I have a tendency, and this is not just in the way that I birth, this is in my life, I have a tendency to attach myself to the expectation of how things will unfold. And when it doesn't look the way that I expect it to look, I begin to unravel. And that goes for even the smallest things in my life, you know? Um, And that's been a really powerful lesson to take into my everyday life, especially into my motherhood experience, where you cannot hold on to expectations when you have three children, any children, you know? They make the rules. And it's so powerful to be able to just surrender to whatever path that you're on in that moment, you know, instead of trying to control it or um, holding on to how you thought it was going to look. It's such a powerful lesson for me and hopefully one that I get to pass on to you. Um, So in relation to where I was in my pregnancy at that point, I was holding on to how I thought my second trimester should look because I was comparing it to my first pregnancy with Bella, which is ridiculous because it was a completely different pregnancy. Um, And when I wasn't experiencing all of those beautiful second trimester elements, I can see my mind started to slow. It was like the beginning of the unravel. And then it just picked up speed towards the end, you know? Um, And I had the power to shift my mindset. Absolutely. But I just didn't have the tools. And this is another reason why I created Trusting the Journey ebook, because um, that ebook embodies everything that I needed during this season of my life to bring myself back to gratitude and, you know, sinking into deep trust and connecting with my intuition and my babies and my body and just enjoying the process rather than fixating on the challenging aspects of it all. So we did a lot of beach trips during that period. Highly recommend going to the beach if you are pregnant particularly with multiples, but just in general, because nature truly is medicine. And at that point, going to the beach and literally just lying in the surf, I would only, I would sort of beach myself. And then I would just let the waves crash over me and just having the sun, the sand, the salty water, it just, oh my gosh, it relieved all my ailments. Anything that I felt that was hurting me, any nausea or heaviness that I felt, it all disappeared as soon as we got to the beach. And we lived at the beach as much as possible. We live like an hour away from the Gold Coast. So um, we only really got to head down there on the weekends, Um, but we made it a priority. 
And then I, so obviously I was grieving my birth as well. So that was another aspect that was quite difficult for me to grasp because I just didn't know what my birth was going to look like. And everything I was reading online was saying cesarean at 36 plus weeks or a vaginal birth in hospital. And it was usually highly medicated and could also end up in cesarean. So there was a lot of stories I was reading of women that went in and had either their waters broken or were induced at a certain period. Um, but I was seeing stories come out of women going in and then being able to birth their baby vaginally for twin A, but then twin B would be born via cesarean. So that freaked me out as well because I felt like, Oh, I just don't, all of this just feels so wrong. It doesn't feel, it's not, nothing's landing and making me feel excited about birth. Luckily at that point though, I had a, quite a few mum friends by this stage that had birth naturally. Um, most of them were in hospital, but they had these natural births. And um, so I, I was, you know, picking their brains saying, what did you do to, you know, set yourself up for a natural birth within the hospital? Um, and two of my girlfriends actually used the same doula. So of course I got my hands on her number and I gave her a call. Um, her name is Moran at Two Life Doula. I'll share all her details in the show notes. Um, and my first conversation with Moran was the first time in my entire pregnancy where I felt like I took a deep breath and relaxed into it. And I, she just validated all my fears. You know, we went through Bella's birth experience and we spoke a little bit about that. And that felt really healing as well, because obviously she could give me her perspective being experienced in the birth space and understanding physiological birth and the system. It was just the most amazing conversation. And I hung up that phone and I cried because I just felt like, oh my gosh, I finally feel like I have a clearer path of where I'm going and Moran is going to be by my side for it. And I just felt like she was the missing piece of the puzzle. So I was on a total high after that phone call. I just felt so much more at peace with where we were going. I didn't really know how we were going to navigate my birth yet, but I felt so confident because I had Moran in my corner. So that was really amazing. And I felt like I could just let go of all the fears that I was holding on to about, you know, what is this birth going to look like? Am I going to have to book in a cesarean? And also with her fee, she included a hypnobirthing course. So she was hosting classes with another woman that she's worked with. Um, and it's called Birth Bootcamp. I'll link that in the show notes for you guys. Um, and we got to do this hypnobirthing course as a part of our package. And oh my gosh, when someone tells you to do a hypnobirthing course and you know nothing about physiological birth, please listen to them. <laughs> As you might remember from Bella's birth, I was told to do one by one of the beautiful midwives that I had. Um, and when I did, when Dale and I did this, these classes, I think it was over a few weekends, him and I would just look at each other shaking our heads because everything they were describing, the cascade of interventions, we were just floored completely flawed at how this was a common thing. And our story was not unique. 
So that was really eye-opening and um, it actually brought up a lot of anger within me, um, which I think is good because I think these are all emotions that I was probably suppressing. So learning all of this, learning about the cascade of interventions and you know the effects of all of these drugs like Sintosin and epidurals, the effects they have on your body and how they can interrupt your labor and so on and so on, I started feeling really angry, not just at the, you know, medical professionals who had supported me, but at myself because I didn't know this. And then I started feeling, you know, like, why is this not common knowledge? Why was this not in the birth course that I did? I mean, I did a birth course. Why was this not told to me? Um, and so that's where my fire began to create a podcast and that was sort of like the initiation of it after I did this class and I thought you know there are so many women out there walking blindly into a hospital thinking that this is the best standard of care available to them and they're walking out completely traumatized I mean one in three women we know those stats but I actually genuinely believe it's higher because I think it's so normalized in today's society that you have trauma throughout your birth experience that most women probably aren't even processing it i mean you look at my story i didn't know i was traumatized until i watched an episode of the kardashians you know so i genuinely believe that stat is actually incorrect and i i know that it would be higher because how often do you hear of natural undisturbed physiological birth unfolding within the system i mean there's midwives and doctors out there ob's out there that have never seen a natural physiological birth never seen it which makes you wonder if someone has never seen the thing that they are considered experts in unfold in the most innate natural way then why are we considering them the experts you know just some food for thought i'll try not to go on too many rambles today So Dale and I did this birth course through Moran and it was completely life-changing in every way. All of a sudden, Dale and I had this veil lifted and we were seeing things through a true lens. So that was a lot of unpacking that we had to do, particularly for myself. Um, So Moran helped me choose my OB because I knew I wanted to have a private OB. I didn't want to enter the system not knowing my care provider. That scared me more than anything. So she was able to give me feedback on the OBs that she'd had experiences with in the hospital. We actually decided to go back to Kindred, funnily enough. Um, because the OBs within that clinic aren't as over-medicalized in their approach to managing birth as a lot of OBs that I've come into contact with. So I trusted Moran's opinion as well, and she was right. I mean, my care through Kindred was definitely... um, There was never any pushback. There was never any arguing. I never felt like I was having to fight for what I wanted. Um, They were very respectful in my decisions. They obviously didn't agree with them and they would share um, the information that they're trained to share, but it was never a fight. So I have to give them credit for that. I always felt like 
everything that happened was my decision and they gave me the space with everything that unfolded to make those decisions without feeling pressure. So once that was locked in place, again, I felt like, okay, we're ticking all these boxes. I'm feeling a lot more confident. I was doing a lot of talk about birth and my twins birth over on my Instagram stories, using my platform to awaken my followers. (laughs) I don't know how well I did at that, but I was, you know, I had that fire in me now that I, I could see birth through this lens and I wanted everyone else to see it as well. So they didn't fear it. Like I had feared it my whole life. Um, and that's when the momentum picked up for, um, creating positive birth Australia. Um, Dale came home one evening and he had bought me a mic and I just thought, okay, this is happening. I'm going to do it. And I had all of these women around me, including Moran, um, who had these positive natural births. So I thought, great, I'm going to get all of my girlfriends (laughs) to come on the show first. Um, And I worked out all the kinks through those episodes. And I guess I created this platform because I wanted a space where women could come and hear positive birth stories that weren't just a specific type of birth. So, you know, not just home birth, not just free birth, not just hospital birth. There's an array of stories for women to choose from. And yeah, that's how Positive Birth Australia was born. And I haven't stopped since. It's definitely been a wild ride. I've faced a lot of challenges in the last few years trying to juggle, you know, keeping this platform alive while being the best mother I can be and wife and friend. Um, But I see how much these stories impact other women's journeys and that truly is the fire that keeps me going. And I'm just so grateful for my PBA community. All right, let's move back to my story. So where was I? I have to think. I've just chosen my OB and I was really happy with that decision. Um, Moran at this point was just on fire when it came to finding um, studies and birth literature on multiples. Um, She really dove deep into the research and I am so grateful for her for doing all of that work. But unfortunately, one of my toxic traits is willingly handing over my power to someone else or like handing the work over to someone else to do for me. So when it came to Moran, I felt like she was going to do everything for me and I didn't really need to put in as much work as what she was putting in because she was doing it. And that's a really terrible way to look at things, not just that situation, but anything in life. You have to do the work. And if you don't do the work, it's going to show. So obviously these are big, valuable lessons that I got to take away from my birth experiences. And being an Aries, I tend to have to learn the same lesson a few times before it sinks in. (laughs) So obviously I found myself falling into that same pattern with this birth. The only difference being that this time I was giving my power over to someone that I knew trusted birth. She, She fully aligned on every level, on a soul level with me. So surely that's okay. 
Surely it's okay for me to hand my power over. I don't actually think power is the word, but I'm just going to roll with it because we align so deeply. So, you know, only in the years of sitting in reflection with this was I able to see that it doesn't matter who you hand your power over to, you're still handing it over. You know, Moran wasn't the one birthing these babies. I was. And by not utilizing her as a resource for my own knowledge, um, I was looking at her as the authoritative and I should have been the authoritative. And that wasn't a role she was trying to take at all. Moran was sending me all of this information so that I could dive into it as well. It was a role that I basically forced upon her without her knowledge. (laughs) Um, And, you know, when it comes to birth, the mother needs to be the authoritative. And I was definitely looking outward for guidance, you know, and that guidance should have been coming from within. Um, so I needed to do the work and I didn't do it. Um, and when I talk about doing the work, you know, education is, in my opinion, it is so important. I know there's a lot of birth leaders out there that say you don't need to do all the work that they proclaim you need to do. Um, you just need to trust your instincts, um, because your physiology will unfold no matter what. But I think that goes hand in hand for a lot of women. I know there's some women, all they need to do is connect to their intuition and they're fine. So yes, I absolutely agree with that statement. But I also think, you know, when you're entering unknown territory like birth, especially for first time mothers, you know, our minds are so powerful. So you need to be aware of what you're walking into. Um, And it's also important to remember that we're not living in the tribal days where, that birth wisdom was passed down from our um, elders and we, we had stories from our ancestors to pass on to the next generation. We don't have that in today's society. Most of the stories that are passed down to us are over-medicalized, traumatic births. So you need to learn about true physiological birth so that you don't fear it. Because how do you how do you trust something you know nothing about? And all you know about it is that it is the worst thing you'll ever go through. But you get a baby at the end. And I feel that education is also the pathway for a mother to have a more spiritual experience with her pregnancy and birth. Because, you know, being educated means you can let go of those fears and unknowns and reconnect to your intuition. Our intuition is our greatest guide, not just through birth, but throughout motherhood as well. I feel like in today's social climate, so many women are disconnected from the greatest tool they possess, which is our intuition. That's why you hear when a woman experiences true undisturbed physiological birth, she'll talk about how incredibly powerful she felt. And that is because During the birth process, we are the most connected to our intuition we will ever be because birth is instinctual. You are not in your neocortex. You're not in your rational brain. And that is such a powerful thing for women to experience because when a woman goes through that birth portal and all she has is her instincts guiding her and her trust in herself and her baby, you know, she walks out of that experience thinking, 
look what I did. Look how powerful I am. I can trust myself and I believe in myself. And then that has a role on effect into motherhood because then you're entering your motherhood journey, knowing that you can be guided by your intuition and trust in it. But that goes both ways. So if you're entering that birth portal and you come out of it completely traumatized, feeling like your body is broken and completely disconnected from your intuition, then yes, that is also going to have a significant impact on you and your motherhood journey. So to bring my point back to my story, you know, I wasn't able to connect with my intuition because I was so fixated on how long my pregnancy was going for instead of, you know, just sinking into, well, this is my variation of normal. So that's where for me doing the work becomes so important. Um, I'm going to stop rambling now. So let's get back to the story. (laughs) So around the 20 week mark of my pregnancy, I physically felt and looked full term, the same as what I looked with Bella. Um, COVID hit, COVID lockdowns, I should say hit. So that just threw this massive spanner in the works because, um, Well, not only were we told to stay home, so I was no longer allowed to go to the beach and I definitely pushed those boundaries a little bit in the beginning, but once, you know, it got pretty serious, we definitely stayed home. Um, So all of a sudden I lost my greatest coping mechanism, which was the beach and nature. And it was just a scary time in the world. You know, we were being forced to stay in our houses. Um, we didn't know anything about this virus that they were talking about. Um, it was, there was so much fear in the air. And then on top of all of that, um, they basically stopped anyone from being in the birth suite with you, which as you can imagine, I mean, that just catapulted the stress I was feeling about not only the state of the world and the uncertainty we were all as a collective feeling, but the fear I felt now about my birth because I was relying so much on Moran being in that birth space with Dale and I to support us and advocate for us that the thought of her not being there just made me spiral a little bit. Um, Moran was really good though. She helped me channel that fear and anger into advocating for our rights, um, and for the restrictions to be lifted so that women could have the birth support they needed in their rooms. Um, but that took time and, you know, it wasn't until just before I was due, I think that those restrictions were lifted, Um, And we fought really hard. We were on the news. We were sending emails, doing petitions. So, you know, all of that, um, which was a lot of it was orchestrated by um, Moran, um, helped keep me busy and helped keep my mind on something positive rather than focusing on what I was going to be lacking for my birth. Um, And then, yes, like I said, the restrictions were lifted. So I was completely elated but you know unfortunately during that time so many women experienced severe trauma through the experiences of having to birth solo in the hospital and my heart goes out to anyone that was seriously affected during that time 
some of the photos that were coming out of the birth suites in the hospital were just truly heartbreaking. But the contrast to that was that there was women being forced to consider home birth and free birthing. Um, so there were some really beautiful, empowering birth stories to come out of that whole period of time. Um, and women considering types of births that they probably never would have had we not been um, facing those kinds of restrictions. So once the restrictions were lifted, I was so excited, obviously, because, you know, I felt like things were back to normal. We still get to have the birth team that we originally wanted in the room with us. So I was, yeah, I was happy. Um, at this point of my pregnancy, I was definitely struggling. Things were starting to hurt. I was really stretched and my skin was starting to really, really itch. Um, and every week that rolled around from 35 weeks, we would celebrate because I was, you know, I honestly did not believe, I don't think anyone in my circle believed that I would go full term. We were all kind of betting around the 37, 30, between 36 and 38 weeks. That's when we all thought I would go into spontaneous labor and, you know, Let's talk about this because we know due dates um, can be really problematic and that goes for all pregnancies, even if you're carrying multiples, you know, there's this assumption that if you're carrying multiples, you will not go to 40 weeks and that's just simply not true. But of course, you know, again, I was basing that information on the stats in Australia, but how do you know that true, you know, spontaneous labor is unfolding when most of the births in Australia for multiples are managed in some way. Um, so I was basing those stats on people that had been induced before they went to 40 weeks. Maybe they all would have gone to 40 weeks. We'll never know. So, you know, that was really um, detrimental to my mental health. And I think that goes for all pregnancies, though. You really need to surrender to your own unique timeline and trust it because you're not going to be pregnant forever even though you genuinely sometimes feel like it. I felt like when I got to 40 weeks, I genuinely believed for a moment, this is how unhinged I was, that I'm never going to have these babies. It's just ridiculous how, you know, irrational I got. So by week 37, I started to sort of feel that fear entering. Um, the narrative of my mum's birth was starting to play in my head. I was starting to feel more pressure from family, you know, getting constant messages like, you're still pregnant? Are you still pregnant? Um, on the daily and, you know, feeling pressure from my mum as well because her fears were being projected onto me. It just, yeah, that last three weeks was really emotionally intense. And on reflection now, I know that all I needed for that period was A, the knowledge that it's perfectly natural for women carrying twins to go full term. That I feel would have been a key component to um, me being more accepting of the fact that I was heading to full term. And B, if I had have just had the ability to go within and block out the noise and turn off my phone and get off social media and 
remove the eyes that I felt on me, I know that I would have been able to get through that last period with a lot more grace. (laughs) Um, Also, if I'd had a daily practice to help me reconnect with myself and my babies and, you know, stop thinking about all of the logical things that could be happening and just thinking in general, I feel like I overthought so much that it just consumed me and I just became so stressed out and also feeling distrust towards myself. That was another really profound lesson I took away from this birth is that although I was, you know, um, saying to the world that I trust birth and I trust my body and all of these things, that when it came down to it, I didn't really trust myself. And a lot of that was because I never did the work to unpack all of those ingrained fears within me from my mum's story. And so even with the stillbirth stats, once I sort of uncovered that it was only a 1% to 2% chance, I was no longer fearful of it. But because I hadn't done the work in the lead up to my birth, when I hit those challenging points, all of those fears came rushing to the surface. And all of a sudden I found myself thinking, oh my gosh, what if I'm the one to 2%? Everyone's going to blame me for this. And those are tools that I offer in my upcoming ebook, Trusting the Journey. It's full of prompts to guide you to where you need to dive deep. Because fears are healthy, you need to have fear. Fear is a you know great tool to keep us safe. And it also is an invitation for you to explore any underlying concerns you might have before you enter the birth realm. So this went on for the last three weeks of my pregnancy. I woke up pretty much every day crying my eyes out, thinking, why am I still pregnant? That was the longest three weeks of my life. And it just got more and more intense as we got to that 40 week mark, because, you know, I would get to 38 weeks and be like, surely, surely this is it. And then I would get to 38 plus one, 38 plus two, 30. And it just like that time was so painful, so painful. I I can't remember timelines because I am a little bit dyslexic with numbers, but around that period. So there was, it was maybe 37, maybe 38 um, weeks. I did, it was a full moon. And so I had in my head and so many of my friends had said full moon, babies come on full moons. This could be it. And funnily enough, I felt surges for the first time. So on this full moon, I I think it was in the early Arvo, I started feeling tightenings. Very similar to what I felt with Bella, how I had, after I had the acupuncture, um, I, yeah, started getting these tightenings and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to go into labor. It's a full moon. Finally, I'm 30, whatever it was. It wasn't 39. So it must've been 38 or 37. I can't remember. And I sent my daughter off to my mama's and I thought, yep, we're having a baby. Well, two. Um, we actually had dinner plans that night with Dale's friends, which I didn't want to go to, but I thought, you know, they say you've got to continue your life as normal. So I'm just going to go to dinner. Silliest idea ever, because that wasn't my normal routine. So yes, continue your life. If you want to bake some cookies, bake some cookies. If you want to watch a movie, watch a movie, but don't go out to dinner with your friends. I mean, that just, I knew immediately as soon as we got there that, This was not where I was meant to be. And I should have just gone home and watched a funny movie and, you know, had some chippies with my hubby. 
Um, because while we were out, like I just wasn't comfortable. I could feel these tightenings and, you know, we were talking a lot about, I told them I was having these tightenings and there was just a lot of emphasis on me and I had to do a lot of talking and I just felt exhausted and I just wanted to go home. And then we got home and the tightenings had stopped because obviously I was feeling anxious and my mood had changed at that point. So, you know, your body doesn't know the difference between, hey, you're feeling stressed. Is there a tiger about to attack you? Or you're feeling stressed because you're at dinner with people that you don't really want to be around while you're having these tightenings, you know? So of course my body responded in the way that it should and it halted my labor. And so once we got home, that really sent me a little bit because I'd gone from, oh my gosh, it's happening. Finally, yay to, oh great, it's gone. Now I've got to do this all again. But I did have a little bit of hope that maybe it would pick up once I went to sleep, but it didn't. (laughs) And then I went on to 39 weeks. Once I got to 39 weeks, I started getting pretty desperate because keep in mind in this period, I forgot to mention earlier that we had a plan. Moran and I had sat down and we worked out a birth plan and Dale, sorry, sorry, Dale. (laughs) He was there too. Um, And we had decided that at 37 weeks, we would talk about induction. So obviously once I got to 37 weeks, I was like, we're not doing that. So I'd pushed it to 38 and I pushed it to 39. And so at this point, you know, every time I went in and saw my OB, It was that awkward conversation, like I'm just going to wait or I just wouldn't go to the appointment period. And then, you know, they'd obviously have to call me and be like, what's happening? We've got you booked in. We need to know. And so all of this was compounding to the stress that I was already feeling. Um, So when I got to 39 weeks, I started getting desperate and I had a conversation with Maria and I said, look, I'm actually not doing well. My mental health is pretty bad. I'm crying my eyes out every single day, hyperventilating, super dramatic. And, um, you know, we kept thinking, Oh, that could be labor. You know, you have these big releases before you go into labor, but it never eventuated to that. And so I said, I need to start intervening. So I went and had acupuncture again, And I did some homeopath drops um, and just, you know, all of the holistic things to try and get labor started. But same as Bella's, um, I would get those tightenings, but it just never eventuated into anything. And then I got to 40 weeks. And once I hit that 40 week mark, it was like, wow, I cannot believe I'm full term. (laughs) How did this happen? (laughs) I was so big. Oh my gosh. My belly was so painful. I couldn't sit down. My friend and I were actually joking about this recently, how when I would sit down, I would have to have my legs completely separated, like opposite ends because my belly would squash my legs, my thighs. And sometimes I would actually stand up and put a leg up on something because I just needed the pressure off my legs, um, and feeling those two heads being down in my pelvis. Um, and yeah, it just, wow. I got to that 40 week mark and it was, that was pretty much the point where I thought, okay, we're, 
we're heading towards a medicalized birth. Like that's where I'm headed, which sounds ridiculous. I know you're all thinking it, you know, you were 40 weeks. Why not just wait a couple more days? And I did, I did wait a couple more days. Um, but I got to the second day. So 40 plus two and I just couldn't believe, could not fathom that I hadn't gone into labor yet. So you can see as I'm talking, you can feel like how stressed and anxious I was. And I mean, again, you've got to remember your body does not register when it registers stress. It doesn't register. Oh, this is just environmental stress. You know, she's just having a hard day compared to there is something chasing me and I, I'm going to die if I don't get out of this situation. You know, stress is just registered and your body acts accordingly. Um, if we were in primal times, that stress would have served me extremely well because it would have helped me to escape because it would have stopped my labor and helped me to get out of danger. So you can see how just the fact I was in this constant state of high heightened stress, my body most likely thought that I had T-Rex chasing me the entire time. And look, I don't know for a fact if that's what happened, but I definitely believe all of this played a role in why I wasn't going into labor. Because I can tell you right now, there was no oxytocin in my system. <laughs> zero and we know we need oxytocin for labor to unfold um, and all I had was adrenaline and cortisol I was filled with it so this is when you know having those powerful tools like meditation and visualization and breath work can be so useful in bringing you back to a grounded state where you're not completely all consumed by your emotions so then I got to 40 plus one and I was losing my mind by this point. And I think, I think I'd booked in an induction on, at 40 plus three. And that was my, we had decided that that was my absolute end date. I wasn't going to push my inductions back any further. Um, so I was determined to get things moving before that date. And so Moran talked to me about using castor oil and I was like, yep, let's do it. I'm willing to do anything at this point to try and get labor started. And look, it definitely got things moving. I, it wasn't a bad experience. I've heard it can be really gross. I just put it in a smoothie. I only did a small dose um, and it basically just cleared me out and then it worked. I started to feel surges um, and I think I did it in the evening or the late afternoon. Dale went to bed and I was in the lounge room by myself with my dog, just like Bella's and the surges definitely started to pick up and I thought, this is great. I'm in labor. Um, and Dale ended up coming out at some point. I don't know what time this was. And he could see that I was, um, my surges were quite intense. I was really having to breathe through them. And he said, should we call Moran? And I said, no, instinctually, I said, no. Um, he called her anyway, which, you know, he's just doing what he thought was the best thing to do. Cause he could see that I was really breathing through them. And Moran of course said that she would come over so keep in mind, we, I was full term by this point, you know, 40 plus two, 
we thought those babies were going to come quickly. So there was all a sense of urgency around Moran getting there to assess me. Um, but as soon as Moran got there and I love Moran, I felt so safe with her. Actually, even as soon as Dale stood in that space, I felt things weren't as intense. Um, and I, we really tried to keep the surges, um, moving forward, I guess. Um, Moran had, was putting me in all these different positions to try and break my waters. Um, and we were just moving around a lot within my lounge room, but then eventually things just kind of wore off and I could feel them starting to subside. And this again comes back to, I now know that I like to birth in solitude and I don't like being witnessed even by my husband for the majority of my labor. So that really, that beginning part of my labor, I intuitively prefer to be on my own with only my dog. (laughs) That's the environment that I thrive best in at the beginning of my labor. I don't know at the end, I feel like I would want people in my space once I was in that real active labor where there's no going back. Um, I feel like I would want that support, but at that very beginning stage where things are picking up, I definitely prefer solitude. So once my space had people in it, even though I felt so safe with both of these people, one was my husband, one was my doula, you know, I, I guess that active feeling watched started to really take effect. And even though we were doing all of the things to try and keep my surges strong and, you know, promote my waters breaking, because we knew if that happened, these babies would be here. Um, yeah, labor just stopped. (laughs) It stopped. And I probably should point out as well, there's no real way of saying whether or not that was the reason those surges died off or if it was just the fact that I'd tried to induce labor with the castor oil. Um, But after learning so much about, you know, the little things that can interrupt with your labor, it just felt like for me, that was probably the reason. Um, But again, there's no way of telling for sure. Um, So anyway, I woke up the next day and it was Bella's birthday and I was so defeated. I just felt completely defeated. Like my body was broken and I'm going to be pregnant forever. I'm going to be the one person on this planet that stays pregnant. Um, and this comes back to me not trusting myself, you know, a huge thing I've had to work on since this birth because never once did I genuinely believe something was wrong. I didn't, I know that I didn't believe something was actually wrong. When I reflect back, my intuition was calm. My intuition was never, ever alerted that something wasn't, wasn't right. It was all of the external factors like the pressure from my mum. um, external fears being projected onto me, the fact that I felt so many eyes on me with my social media presence at that point. Those were the things that were infiltrating my mindset and my labor, nothing else, because my intuition definitely was not alerting me to something being wrong. So once I woke up and it was Bella's birthday, I just, I was done. I had reached my quota for what I could deal with at that point. I was emotionally and physically exhausted from the night before. Um, I was 
hurting. My stomach was really hurting. My skin felt, oh my gosh, just, I still cringe at the thought of that feeling today. Um, and so I called my OB and I said, I'm coming in and this time for real, <laughs> um, you're not inducing me, but you can break my waters. So that was the plan. Um, so we went down and we said, happy birthday to Bella, my beautiful girl. I was so excited to see her and, you know, my beautiful family, Dale's parents, my parents, and they just all really rallied around her and made her day so incredibly special. I'm so grateful for them. And we jetted off to the hospital to have my waters broken. And I guess I had this false sense of safety with having my waters ruptured because I'd experienced it before with Bella. And with Bella's birth, I put the, like her birth unfolding the way that it did, I put that down to the syntocin that was administered. So I, I felt like when I reflected on Bella's birth, I felt like the waters being, my waters being ruptured wasn't the issue. So I felt okay about that choice. I really thought, okay, well, you know, I've done castor oil. Like this is pretty much the next thing that's not overly medicalized. And you know, my babies will just shoot out. It'll be fine. Funnily enough though, as we drove towards that hospital, my intuition peaked in that moment just for a split second. And it set off major alarm bells saying, you need to turn around. I saw the hospital in front of me and immediately felt like I needed to leave. I knew that this wasn't going to end the way that I thought it was going to end. And I turned to Dale and I said, I have a really bad feeling about this. And of course he just, you know, affirmed to me that it's, everything's going to be fine, babe. Like you're going to be fine. You've done so much and you know, we're going to meet our baby soon. But I knew intuitively I knew, but again, I was so disconnected at that point. I just didn't give a shit anymore. I just wanted them out. I was so done. And so we went in and I had my waters broken. Um, and it was very similar to Bella's experience, painless. Um, there was so much water and it didn't take long for them to realize that my waters were stained with meconium. <clears throat> so, Obviously, when you're in the system, you as soon as they see meconium-stained waters, um, they want to monitor you because it can be a sign of fetal distress. And obviously, because I'd been in labor the night before, we yeah, they just wanted to monitor me. So we agreed to that. Then I kind of just went back into my labor land and um, let things progress. So it all felt very similar to Bella's the beginning of Bella's birth story. I had my waters broken. I had some monitoring on, but I felt in the zone. I felt nothing but love. I felt excited and the surges were coming and going and flowing so beautifully. I love the feeling of surges. I think because it was taken away from me in my last birth, when I started feeling those surges again, it was like meeting an old friend. Even though that sounds so weird, it was, it felt like, oh, I know you, you're familiar, let's get into this. Um, and then, yeah, it was pretty much once my waters were broken, I don't think it took long for those surges to start and they were pretty strong from memory. Um, and we were just really excited. We were all really excited to be there and you know, we thought those babies were gonna come quickly and it was just a really nice moment, that beginning stage. 
Then I think we got to like, I honestly can't remember proper timelines, but I feel like it was around six or seven hours. And um, I remember looking at the clock and immediately feeling like, ooh, that's not good. Because I knew that we all thought these babies would be here within the five hour period and we were going way past that now. So I knew that something wasn't quite right and I'm pretty sure I asked for a check or maybe they offered, I can't remember. But anyway, I had a check done and I don't remember a specific number, but it was low. It was a low number, maybe like four or five centimeters. Um, and because I'd been laboring for so long, I think when I got there into the hospital as well, I was already like three or four centimeters dilated. So I remember it only being like a centimeter or two more. And, you know, I'd been laboring for over six hours. So it wasn't the best information to receive. And obviously now I know that, you know, dilation means nothing. Women can go from three centimeters to fully dilated within an hour. We've heard that multiple times on the podcast, but because I had twins and there was obviously another baby on top of Luca, we were expecting that dilation to happen faster than what it was. So another thing they discovered with that check is that Luca was in a funny position. So once we knew that, Moran helped me do all the spinning babies techniques to try and give him some space to move around in. I should also mention as well, Luca and Ayla. So Ayla was always twin A, which means she was the first twin to be born. And then towards the end of my pregnancy, they did a lot of switching. So she went breach. So there was that talk of um, cesarean because they won't deliver. If twin A is breach in a hospital twin birth, they will not let you have a vaginal birth. You have to have a cesarean. But if twin A is head down and twin B is breached, then that's okay. They'll allow you to still attempt um, a vaginal birth. So I'm pretty much doing handstands during contractions, which I think back now and oh my gosh, they were so painful um, and it would have looked ridiculous, but we were obviously doing everything we could. Moran was using all the skills she had to try and give them as much room as possible to move into a more optimal position. And so we continued on doing that. Moran would put me in a position. I would labor like that for a bit, then we would move. So we did lots of movement and trying different things. And I think I did that for like another six hours or something. So I was getting to that 12 hour period, maybe even more. And I was starting to feel pretty fatigued. And look, maybe if I had more time and I didn't feel that time crunch, maybe I would have got those babies out. We'll never know. But I definitely was feeling the pressure every hour that ticked by because I knew as soon as I entered that system and had my waters broken, I was on a time clock. Um, and that was kind of really in my awareness at that point. And it was so funny because I did have a moment where I remembered back to that really strong, intuitive feeling I had at, when I saw the hospital. <laughs> and I thought, damn it, <laughs> should have listened. But also, you know, I, I feel like 
I have to accept that this is how my births played out. And I know that there's a bigger purpose for them in terms of like the lessons I've learned. And I've had many, many ego deaths along my entire journey. And it's been, you know, the most profound growth. So I know that there is always a silver lining. Um, so I think I had another check at this point and nothing had changed. I was still the same number I was six hours prior. Um, and Luca was still in a funny position. Um, I also want to point out that no one was distressed at this point. So because it was, you know, natural labor, everyone's heart rates were fine. So they were coping with, you know, the long hours of labor that we were going through. Um, I, on the other hand, was feeling super fatigued by this point because we were past that 12 hour mark and I'd also been laboring the night before. So I hadn't slept much. No one had. Dale actually said there was a point, I think it was around this point where he was like hallucinating. Um, and that's not to say, Oh, poor Dale, because you know, he'd been up just as many hours as me. So had Moran. Um, everyone was fatigued. Obviously I was the one laboring, but still, you know, they were also really struggling. Um, they didn't show me any of that. I had no awareness of that whatsoever. This was only shared with me afterwards, but you know, everyone was really, really tired. Um, and when we got to that point, there was talk of Sintosin to help move things along. And I was terrified. I cried to Dale. I cried to Moran. And I said, I cannot do Sintosin. That was a really big trigger for me. Um, I had a lot of trauma around Bella's experience. And I just kept saying, there's no way I can do Sintosin. There's no way. Um, and also I was, you know, also hyper aware that we were now heading into that territory, um, of no return with the cascade of interventions that was likely to follow. Um, and I was basically, you know, watching my birth plan fly out the window. So it was a lot for me to process. Um, but you know, what other options did I have at that point? I was not progressing quick enough. I'm already high risk. My waters were stained with meconium. And also, you know, I was running on complete empty by that point. So this was kind of my last ditch effort to try and get things moving before everything completely fell apart. But even after the Sintosin was suggested, I still tried to labor for a few more hours without any drugs, just to see if there was any progress. And then when I had my next check, nothing had changed. So yeah, it was time to administer the Sintosin. Um, and yeah, it's so interesting how much better I handled it this time around. And I did hours of on Sintosin. I couldn't even do two minutes on it with Bella. But because I was A, mentally prepared for it and B, because my body had been naturally surging for so long. Um, yeah, I was, I coped really well, surprisingly. So after many hours of doing that, we were moving around the whole time, still doing our um, spitting babies techniques, which is just so funny. I always laugh when I think back to all the positions I was in. Um, and I think I had another check at some point and still nothing. I don't think I'd moved. And I just want to say how I feel like cervical checks can be really problematic because 
you can get two different readings from two different people. Um, and I guess, you know, they're kind of like due dates in a way. You just have to take it with a grain of salt. It gives you a guide. It's not an absolute. And I guess you have to ask yourself, what is this information actually going to provide me right now? Is it going to help my labor progress or is it just going to mess with my mindset? In my case, it definitely had an impact on how I was feeling because I thought I wasn't progressing, which made me feel even more deflated and exhausted. And then we started talking about getting an epidural because I was so fatigued and exhausted and I just needed rest. And obviously the syntocin was up so high. So I was having these really compounding contractions um, and I was definitely starting to wear out. And let me tell you, that was not a great experience. That epidural was pretty horrific. You know, I had just done all these hours of syntocin contractions and then they wanted to put a needle in my back. And I was, you know, at the same time as that, I was dealing with all the internal, you know, emotional turmoil I was feeling at the fact that my birth was starting to look this way. Um, and so when they went to put the epidural in, it was like my whole body was just, I felt so vulnerable and so tender and so sensitive. And just to have them putting a needle in my spine felt completely overwhelming. Not necessarily the fact that it was a needle going into my spine, but just the, what it meant. It was more that than the actual pain of it. And yeah, I remember that period just being so emotionally overwhelming and I was just crying in Dale's arms and I was, you know, hunched over and it was just, yeah, it was really, it was a really vulnerable moment. And also, like I said, I knew where we were headed, but I was just so desperate to rest at that point. And I did, I had a great rest. We did our best to like, we had one of those peanut pillows between my legs because it's meant to open your legs up and you can lay on your side and I had a walking epidural so I could still feel my feet. Um, and we did everything in that moment to open up my pelvis as much as we could for them. So I had a rest and Dale got to rest as well. Moran went home to freshen up and rest also. And I woke up to the midwives, two midwives standing over me doing a changeover. Um, and I could hear them talking, but I had my eyes closed. And one of the midwives was saying, so mom had syntocin. Um, we did that for a while and then she got really fatigued. So she's had an epidural. Um, she's just resting now, but we're going to have to get the OB in soon because baby's heart rate is dropping. <sighs> oh my gosh. I just, in that moment, my whole belly just did a flip because I knew immediately what that meant. And I opened my eyes and I turned to Dale, who was sitting next to me. And I woke him up and I said, I'm having a cesarean. And he was like, what? No, you're not, babe. And I said, I just overheard them talking. I'm having a cesarean. And he was like, babe, we don't know that. Wait till the doctor comes in. And I just said, Dale, I know how this story goes. I'm having a cesarean. And... Like the only reason why that makes me emotional, it's not because I had a cesarean. That's, you know, I know that that's what Luca needed. I truly do believe he 
by that point of my labor, it was absolutely necessary. And I know that if I had tried to continue on, I probably would have run into complications because I just intervened too much. It was more what it symbolized for me. It was, you know, the fact that I felt like I'd failed and not just myself. I felt like I'd failed my babies because now I was opening them up to so many other risks and that really frightened me. And I felt a lot of guilt over that. Um, But also because I felt like I'd let so many people down including Moran, you know, because Moran was so excited about this birth and, you know, she had done so much work in the lead up to this and I just felt really guilty, like I had let her down as well. And I know that sounds ridiculous. She'll kill me for even saying that because she would never, ever feel that way towards me. I know that. My whole soul knows that. But in that moment... It was this overwhelming feeling of disappointment in myself and then obviously feeling like I've just let so many people down. So I just burst into tears (laughs) like I am now. Um, And yeah, we spoke to the OB and he confirmed what I was already predicting And he was really kind. I think, you know, everyone in that moment could see this mama is not coping well. Um, And he was really gentle in his approach. And he offered to give me a few more hours to see if anything would change. But I was, like I said, I just felt like at that point of my labor, the amount of interventions I'd had, I was starting to worry I was really going to hurt these babies. And I just said, let's get them out. So that's what we did. So we went in for, obviously I already had the epidural. So it was just a case of me being wheeled straight in. And um, when I was sitting at the door, so everyone was really lovely, but there was this one midwife who I will never forget. And she tried to fear monger me about my choices with the vitamin K shot. And it was clearly obvious. I mean, I was crying nonstop. I had tears streaming down my face consistently this whole entire time. Um, So it was very obvious that I was distressed and, you know, I was processing a lot and I'd just been through a lot. I'd just been laboring for 24 hours. Um, and she thought she would take it upon herself to tell me that I was killing my babies for not agreeing to have the vitamin K shot. And I said to her, I haven't said no to the vitamin K shot. I've just said no to it if it's not necessary, because if you don't know what the vitamin K shot does, it's a synthetic vitamin that our babies don't have within them. They get it later on through our breast milk. Um, and I think just from as they get older and it helps to clot their blood basically. So if, you know, your baby needed open heart surgery or something, which I know some babies need, they would give them the vitamin K shot so that they didn't bleed out. So there is a purpose for it. Absolutely. But, um, 
I had said, you know, I've read up on vitamin K and I think it has a great purpose, but why am I giving it to my babies unless they need it? So I had said to my OB and the pediatrician, we've done our research on the vitamin K shot and we are happy for you to give it to the babies if they need it, if they need extra care and the vitamin K shot is going to help with, you know, blood tests or whatever. But if they come out and everything's fine, then we don't want them to have it because we don't deem it necessary. And they were fine with that. There was no issues. There was no pushback. It was like, yep, no worries. Turns out Luca did need it, so he had it. Ayla didn't, so she didn't. Bella needed it, she had it. So two out of three of my children have had the vitamin K shot. But this, it was just the fact that this medical professional who was there to support me through my surgery felt that that was the moment to fear monger me in a way that was so aggressive and so out of line when I was clearly emotionally in turmoil you know, it just completely blew my mind and made me so angry afterwards um, because I just thought, how many women has she spoken in this way to, you know, and it may not have been about the vitamin K shot, but clearly she had no boundaries when it came to the way that she engaged with vulnerable women. It was just appalling, to be honest. Um, She ended up apologizing to me afterwards because she could see the effect that that conversation had on me. And I was just a blubbering mess after that because I just felt like that was the tipping point. You know, I was crying the whole time, but it was just like tears streaming down my face. But now I was sobbing. I was sobbing as they wheeled me in. And it was really weird. It was just a weird experience. You know, here I am emotionally completely destroyed and um, everyone's just having a chat about their weekend. (laughs) What'd you do on the weekend? Yeah, I went to golf. Oh, yeah. How was it? Oh, you know, it was a little bit rainy. Would have been nice if the sun was out. Yeah, I know what you mean. And I'm just there sobbing. (laughs) Very strange. Very strange. Um, But again, this is their place of work. People become desensitized. It's human nature. So, Um, and then we began the surgery. So, My OB does, like, they do a little um, practice nick. They just, like, poke you with the scalpel. Sounds so divine. Um, And I could feel it. And so they upped my dosage of anesthetic. And usually, I found this out later, usually they have to wait 15 minutes for that dosage to kick in. But they only waited five. And then he nicked me again or poked me again. And I said, yep, I can still feel that. And I started panicking by that point thinking, oh my gosh, they're going to cut me open and I'm going to feel it all. And so they gave me another dose. And again, they only waited five minutes. So it had been like 10 minutes by this point. And then my first dose had sort of kicked in. So when he poked me again, I said, nope, I can't feel it. And that was great. But then 10 minutes later, the second dose started to kick in. So I just felt as they were doing the surgery, I could feel the numbness moving from around my belly up to my chest, through my arms, and it was heading towards my neck and I was really struggling to breathe. I didn't vocalize this at the time because I was completely numb, but I had a moment where I thought, oh, I'm gonna die. That's what that intuitive feeling was. Um, but because I had so many drugs in my system, it didn't scare me. I just kind of turned to Dale and I said, am I going to die? 
And he was like, no, babe, no. Um, and then I said, I can't breathe. And then they were asking me questions and I was saying, I can feel it in my neck and my neck's starting to go numb. Um, and I couldn't lift my arms and I was not in and out of consciousness because I was always conscious, but I couldn't keep my eyes open. So the anesthesiologist kind of was scrambling at that point and he was trying to regulate the amount of drugs that I had. Um, and I think he might've even given me something to, I can't remember. Um, but he also tilted me upright, not completely upright, just slightly, um, so that it would start flowing away from my neck. Um, and that definitely worked. I still couldn't pick up my arms though. It just kind of relieved the tension I was feeling, the heaviness I was feeling in my throat. Um, and look, silver lining, I try to see the positives. The fact that I was so drugged up did have a very minor positive aspect. It prevented me from feeling fear. <laughs> I was just so relaxed. But I do remember them saying, and here's your boy. And they put Luca up and I was just in this like, almost like this beautiful haze of peace with all those drugs flowing through my system. And I thought, oh, wow, look at him. His nose looks skewed, but he looks exactly like Dale. And I could see he had meconium in his mouth. Um, and so they took him away immediately. And so when Dale saw that happen, I think he he was very triggered obviously by what happened with Bella. Um, but, and when he came over to tell me that Luca needs a little bit of help, I think he was really scared to tell me that, but because I was so drugged up, I didn't care. I was like, it's all good. I trust that you'll stay with him. And then they showed me Ayla and I thought, Oh, she kind of looks like, I don't know who she looks like. That's, this is the inner dialogue that was going on within me. And then I would put my head back down and go back to sleep, but then try and keep my eyes open, but then go back to sleep. Um, and I kind of remember them putting Ayla on my chest. Yeah. All of it's a bit hazy for me. I do remember waking up in, I remember when they said that the babies were born and that they were going to stitch me up. And I think Dale had Ayla at that point. I remember thinking, yay, I can sleep. And I just went to sleep. And then I remember waking up in recovery and Moran was by my side and I was still very much out of it. And God bless her. She really advocated hard in that period because the OB and the pediatrician kept coming to talk to me and I was clearly not conscious. I was in and out of consciousness and, um, not completely unconscious. Like I said, I could still hear things, but I just couldn't talk. I couldn't articulate anything. I definitely couldn't have a conversation. And she kept saying, do you think this is the right time to be talking to her about this? Can we wait until she's fully conscious? And I do vaguely remember feeling that tension between Moran and them. Um, so yeah, thank God she was there because she really advocated to, um, keep everyone away from me while I came to, and I, it took ages for me to come to. She helped Ayla get on my breast. I do remember sort of waking up and I looked down and I saw Ayla feeding and I was just completely filled with love in that moment. I was just like, wow, I have a baby on my breast. Yay. Um, and then I got to go up to my room and 
Dale was still with Luca. I hadn't really processed or thought about that during that time because, like I said, I wasn't with it. But um, Ayla got to stay with me that entire time, which was great because I could feel her on me every time I came to. It was like this, my baby's on me. And then it was just, honestly, that period was just a battle for me to stay conscious. I just remember thinking, oh, I cannot wait till these drugs are out of my system. This is horrible. Like not being able to fully stay alert. And all I wanted to do was be alert so that I could enjoy my baby and breastfeed her um, and hold her. It wasn't safe for me to be holding her on my own because I kept falling asleep. Um, And I remember saying to my OB... Um, why, how long will these drugs in my system last for? Because I I want to be able to stay awake. And he totally gaslit me and said that I was just tired. This isn't the drugs. I'm just tired from the last two days of laboring. That's all this is. (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. But look, I, you know, I expect this kind of behavior. I knew what I was walking into this time. And that's why I say I I wasn't traumatized. Yes, I had very hard experiences within the system. And, you know, some of those um, moments were really challenging and emotionally draining and all of those things. But I I wouldn't classify that experience as traumatic. Um, And I think there's a big difference because my, my experience with Bella absolutely left me with PTSD. Whereas this didn't, um, I was able to process this. I had big, long chats with Moran. I've, you know, since then had huge, big chats with lots of birth leaders that I've come into contact with. And also just learning everything that I've learned in the last couple of years. So many stories I've heard from other women that have helped me to process my own story. So yeah, I don't feel like I was traumatized by that experience. I just had a shit experience, you know, but that's kind of what happens when you go into the hospital, you're at risk of having, you know, you've got to follow their procedures and protocols. And um, I knew the minute I walked into that hospital, I was going to be on a time clock. So there is a huge difference between feeling like something has happened to you without your knowledge or having a choice um, over feeling like, yes, that wasn't a great experience, but I always felt like I was in the driver's seat and given the space to make these decisions myself. So that meant when it came time to start processing this experience, there was a lot of accountability that I had to take and a lot of learning and growth came from that as well. So yeah. So when Dale came back up, it still took a while for me to get all of those drugs out of my system enough to stay awake. But oh my gosh, when that moment finally came, I just felt so relieved to be able to function like a normal human again and enjoy my baby. I only had one baby at that point because Luca was still with the pediatrician. I think they were monitoring him. Actually, I'll jump into that next. So with Luca, what we found out when they performed the cesarean um, is that he was actually brow presentation. So if you remember, I said when I first saw him in my haze, I immediately noticed that his nose was skewed. It was completely pushed to one side. So, um, I don't, I didn't know this, but apparently when my OB pulled him out, he said, Oh, that's why labor wasn't progressing because he was stuck. Babies can be born brow presentation. It just takes longer because obviously, you know, the optimal position for a baby to be born 
is chin to chest and the top of their head. Um, And you'll often see, you know, babies get that cone shape in their heads, which is all normal. They're built for that. But when a baby is presenting with their brow first or face first, obviously that diameter is a lot wider. So it can take a lot longer for mama to birth them. Um, But it is possible as you will hear with an upcoming episode where I interview a mama who free birthed her brow presentation baby. So that could also be another reason why I wasn't going into labor because he obviously wasn't head down. And like I said earlier, there was a lot of movement and switching towards the end of my pregnancy. Um, And I mean, you know, it was squishy in there. There was not a lot of room. So obviously when I had my waters ruptured, because he wasn't in an optimal position, as soon as we ruptured my waters and he lost that fluid, which gives him a little bit more movement ability, Um, he was stuck, you know, he couldn't move anymore. So especially because, you know, as well, he had Ayla on top of him. And let me tell you, Ayla was, she is my wild child. (laughs) And I always knew where Ayla was because she never stopped moving. So I'm sure she was doing some acrobats in there as well, which probably didn't help either. Um, and another really interesting thing is that he wasn't in the birthing canal at all. So when they took him out, he wasn't even engaged in my pelvis. He was just floating above. So, um, you know, after all that labor, the fact that he wasn't even engaged yet, yeah, it just makes me think, you know, I'd sealed our fate the moment I had those waters ruptured and having the cesarean was the best option for Luca because he was definitely struggling to get through. Um, and like I said, his nose was completely to one side. You could see the amount of pressure on his face. Um, and that all went back to normal. Babies are amazing. You know, they can come out looking completely skewed in all the ways and they just go back to normal. So another thing that happened to him, so we knew that there was meconium in my waters. It turns out he had actually pooed his waters a while ago though. And I believe he probably did it the night that I had those um, surges on the full moon. That's when I feel like that may have happened because it just fit the timeline because the pediatrician said he's done this weeks ago because his skin was stained with meconium and that usually only happens if it's if he's been like sitting in it for so long and there's there is a lot of misconception around um, meconium stained waters that it's this you know high risk of aspiration which yes that is definitely a possibility Um, and that's what happened with Luca he breathed those waters in as he was being born and um, he inhaled a huge chunk and it was in his throat which was blocking his airway so they had to suction that out so he definitely needed support absolutely but I had the pediatrician say to me afterwards if you'd had a home birth your baby would have died and that just simply isn't true that is fear-mongering 101 Um, because the evidence actually shows that you know meconium stained waters yes of course there are risks the highest risk being aspiration so inhaling their waters which then can lead to you know a variety of complications but it's actually the interventions that can increase the risk of meconium aspiration. So I know that Luca only inhaled his waters because he was born via my belly, which isn't 
a physiological process. And the evidence shows that a natural physiological birth is actually considered safer when it comes to um, meconium stained waters and potential aspiration. So I didn't know this at the time either. So when he said that, a part of me wanted to believe it because it almost made me feel better about the choices I'd made. Um, but I also knew because I was so well informed by that point about how the system works and how they tried to sell you back this story that we saved your, you and your baby's life. I was, I immediately felt that like, uh, I wish this was true in a way because then I wouldn't feel so guilty. Um, but I also know that it probably isn't and it didn't take long <laughs> for me to find a mother that had free birthed her baby at home when she had meconium stained waters. And then she put me on to Dr. Rachel Reed, who I ended up interviewing, but, um, Dr. Rachel Reed has an, not only an incredible book, Reclaiming Childbirth as a Rite of Passage, but she has a wonderful podcast called The Midwife's Cauldron and also an incredible website called um, Midwife Thinking, which I will link all of those in the show notes. Um, and she does a report about meconium stained waters on her website and it is a profound read it you know blows the lid off that whole notion that you need to be saved from meconium stained waters so i will link that in the show notes for you guys to have a read um i also wanted to share that when i made the decision to go into the hospital to have my waters ruptured um i had actually been on a twin mother natural birth page and I had put pleaded my case to this forum and I did have a lot of twin mums come back and say, look, we had our waters ruptured and our babies shot out five minutes later. So that was another really big reason why I chose to get my waters ruptured because I thought that that was going to help me go into labor. It just goes to show though, you know, something that works for someone may not work for you. So you always have to... Um, take that into account before you make these decisions. And, you know, I'm such a firm believer now that you just need to leave things alone. <laughs> that is always the best course of action. Just sink into it and let your body unfold the way that it is meant to. Um, but yeah, that's what happened to Luca. And when Dale told me that he needed some extra care, um, you know, that would have been a huge trigger for me, but because I was so out of it, another silver lining. I got to bypass all of those triggered emotions and yeah, I got, got to just enjoy Ayla. I just, you know, felt so much gratitude. I can't even explain it to have a healthy baby on me. Finally, after all these many months of carrying them and thinking that I was going to be pregnant forever and the last two days of intense labor that I'd been in, I just was grateful. That was it. I didn't feel anything else. Everything else that had happened before this point didn't matter to me anymore. Um, and I don't think that was me suppressing it. I think that was just me genuinely enjoying the moment because I knew I had a lot to unpack, but, um, in that moment, I was just so incredibly grateful that I had one of my babies breastfeeding on my chest and she was completely healthy and perfect. And it's so funny when the nurse came up to tell me that Luca was ready to come up to my room. <laughs> I was just like, oh my gosh, I have another baby. It was like, I hadn't forgotten, but because I was so consumed with Ayla, 
I don't know. It just, it left my mind. And you've, I was still obviously recovering from all the drugs in my system as well. So I was still kind of in a daze. I wasn't really falling asleep anymore, which was great. But I, you know, obviously wasn't completely sober. It took a while for all those drugs to leave my system. So when the nurse said that, it was almost like Christmas morning for me. I was just like, yes, I would love to meet my boy. Um, and I was just so happy. I was so happy. Um, and he was perfection. Oh my gosh, I have goosebumps just even thinking about them bringing him into my room and realizing, holy crap, I've got twins. Like there's two babies here. There really was two babies in there. And because I, you know, was still getting over all the drugs in my system, it just, all of it felt like a dream. It was like everything had just, was such a blur. Um, and now I was finally in that euphoric state of being with my babies. And, you know, they were both so healthy and they were full term. And even though Luca did need that little bit of help when he came out, he was fine. He was healthy. You know, there was no pneumothorax from the CPAP machine or injury from whatever, you know, they were, they were with me and they were healthy and they were safe. And that was such a good feeling. So I put everything behind me for that moment. And, um, I knew I had a lot of unpacking to do and I was ready to do that. But for the time being I just wanted to focus on my babies and just soak in every moment with them and that's what I did so because I was still breastfeeding Bella at this stage she was only two years old um you know I just slid right into feeding multiples and I didn't have any issues whatsoever of course so that really took a huge load off my shoulders um, and, you know, in comparison to what I went through with Bella, um, it was just so beautiful to experience newborns without any pain breastfeeding. And obviously being twins, it just made life so much easier because I was tandem feeding like a pro from the get-go. Um, and another silver lining, because we were staying at the Mother Mother's Private, they have this pretty incredible service, I think, that they run with the Emporium Hotel in Southbank, which is like a five-star hotel. Um, so basically, if you're a belly birth mama, um, the hospital, because it's such major surgery and, you know, I, I need to emphasize that because if you haven't watched a cesarean section, probably don't do that, but... It, if you have, you would know that a C-section is not an easier option. Like it kind of sort of gets sold these days in today's society. You know, with C-section rates going through the roof, um, it's no wonder that women are choosing it because it's becoming so normalized. Um, but it is major abdominal surgery, major so, of course, you know, after any surgery, you have to stay in the hospital for a certain amount of days. Um, and I think it's usually around four days for C-sections. But because there's, you know, mums that are going in that have done this before, like myself, or there might be um, someone that is feels good after the first two days, 
they actually allow you or give you the option to go to the Emporium for your last two days. So you just have to do two days monitoring in the hospital and then you can move to the Emporium and you basically get a midwife on call 24 seven within the hotel, but only one. So, you know, they said, said it to us as if that was a bad thing because, you know, um, I know first time mums particularly probably love to have nurses on call. And that is one of the benefits of being in a hospital. You have someone on call 24 seven, if you need anything. Um, but we were like, this sounds great because we hated them coming in every 10 minutes to do all their tests and stuff. So we were like, this sounds wonderful, you know, and you get all your free meals because you're still technically a part of the hospital. Um, it's just, yeah, you just don't have access to the LCs and, you know, lots and lots of midwives to help you every second if you need it. Um, but we didn't need it. So we were like, this sounds perfect. Sign us up. But then because we were high risk, so you have to be low risk to be able to leave the hospital to go to the Emporium. And because obviously I had twins, I was considered high risk. And because Luca went to the nursery for, or he had, he had complications for a couple of hours. They did monitoring. Um, they weren't going to give us access to it. But we had a wonderful midwife who really advocated so hard for us because she could see that we were fine. I was nailing breastfeeding them. They were happy. We were thriving as a family of four in that little room. Um, and she could tell that it was, you know, perfect for us. So she was amazing. She really went above and beyond to get us approved for this service. And we got to move to the Emporium for the last two days of our care, which was wonderful. It felt like a holiday and it was kind of like, you went through all of that. Here's a little bit of like a positive ending for that craziness. Um, and yeah, it was really beautiful because then we got to see Bella as well. Cause obviously there was still COVID restrictions at that point. So we weren't allowed. I can't remember what the restrictions were. I don't think children were allowed up. I know that. Um, and I think we had to kind of meet our parents out in the hallway or something from memory. They weren't allowed to go on the ward. So there was still restrictions in place. But if we went to the Emporium, we could have whoever we wanted there. So we were just so excited to get out of the hospital, even though everyone was so beautiful. Um, we were just so excited to be in our own space. And the rooms are so extravagant and spacious. We had this huge, big king size bed that we could spread out on. And, you know, it just felt really nice to end it on a good note. Um, and then of course, you know, Bella got to come and meet her twins and, oh my gosh, that video, it's just, it makes me cry every time I watch it because you can see, she didn't even say hello to us. She just stormed into the room and as soon as she lays eyes on them, you can just see her entire body light up with pure joy and happiness to see her baby brother and sister. It is the most endearing video you will ever see. I will link it in the show notes. Don't worry. <laughs> so that was the end of my story. That's pretty much the end. We then went home and it was, you know, we began our life as a family of five. And don't get me wrong, it has been mighty challenging but we have also had some really incredibly beautiful moments um, in between all those challenging moments. And 
Toddler twins are definitely another, that's a whole nother subject, but you know, we're coming out the other end now where we have four year olds and a six year old and life just feels really beautiful. It feels really wholesome. And I'm just watching the bonds between them flourish. And honestly, we're so grateful that we got to have our baby so close together. I do feel like, and I want to include this because I'm sure some women will be able to resonate. I do, I, I, I still am in a way grieving the fact that I will never get to experience birth again and, you know, try and have a true physiological birth um, and be pregnant with one. Um, I'm too scared to go back in case I get twins again because I don't think I'd survive twins again. <laughs> I just don't have the emotional capacity to give that much to twins again. Um, but I definitely have had to go through a process of grieving you know, the dream pregnancy and birth experience. So that's been a really big journey for me on a personal level. But I also, you know, there is so much to be grateful for about having twins. I mean, hello, how magical is that? You know, you've got two babies. My body grew two babies to 40 plus weeks. I reckon I would have gone to 41 easily. Um, and it's so funny when we would leave the, around the time that we left the hospital, anyone that saw the twins would be like, Oh, how old are they? And we would say, you know, like one week and they would always, always the comment would be, they're so big. And that would always make me feel really proud. And I would think, yeah, they are because I got them to full term, you know, I went a little bit crazy, but still I got them to full term. Also, I just want to quickly chat about my recovery um, for any other belly birth mothers out there. Um, So I recovered really well considering, you know, how major the surgery is. Obviously, it definitely made life harder in the sense that I, you know, really had to prioritize resting and I couldn't really sit up by myself. I needed Dale's help because you don't have any abdominal strength while you're recovering. Um... And look, I am definitely a crunchy mum. It was really difficult for me to take that medication, knowing how many drugs were in my system, which would therefore be in my milk. Um, but I, w- I also knew that my healing was um, a priority. So I stayed on top of my meds for um, as long as I felt like I needed to and just didn't think about what was happening inside my body or what was going into my milk um, and just really prioritized rest. And then I think it was only that first week that I was really taking anything and then I was able to pretty much wean off all of it. Um, Another thing is the sun. The sun is a great healer. So utilize that. Um, I was outside in the backyard every single day, multiple times a day with the babies um, sunning my wound. So just make sure your neighbors aren't peeking over the fence. (laughs) Um, And hydration is another huge thing. You need to stay hydrated. I always add Himalayan sea salt and lemon to my water for added minerals. You can find the most epic tumbler on the PBA website. I'll link it in the show notes. Um, It is the perfect companion for your postpartum and it will help you keep track of how much your water intake is um, because hydration is so important my gosh 
Um, Another thing that I did, which I forgot to mention, is I had my placentas encapsulated. That was something that Moran offered to me for free because she was like, girl, you're going to need this. And oh my gosh, the difference they made was astounding. I felt so energized. I genuinely believe that also played a huge role in my healing and also my milk supply. I feel like the days I took my capsules, my milk was more abundant. Um, I know that some people don't like to take placentas because they're considered filters, but so is beef liver. And so many of us take that. So I don't know. There's lots of mammals out there that consume their placentas for various reasons. I feel like nature knows what's up, but I know it's not for everyone. That was just my experience. Lastly, I just want to answer a question that I always get asked, um, and that is, would you free birth your twins knowing what you know now? So the answer is yes, most likely I would. I can't say an absolute definite because I would 100% listen to my intuition and follow whatever that says. But if I was to ever have twins again, the things that I would do differently is um, a huge one for me would be mindset. So doing all the things that I need to do to have a healthy and strong mindset in the lead up to birth, which would be, you know, a daily practice to sink into, to reconnect to my you know, babies, my body and my intuition and just block out the noise and um, really do the work, you know, dive into my fears and do the research myself so that I hold the knowledge within me and I'm not looking outward for guidance or advice. That's a huge one for me. I would also hire a birth keeper that would support a twin free birth. So obviously she would have to be very experienced in the birth space. And that would just be for that wise woman energy to support Dale and I, hold space for us, and to have an extra set of eyes. Um, I would also keep it private. I wouldn't tell anyone. That is another big one for me because I have a lot of people in my family that do not agree with even just home birth with a midwife there. Um, so I would keep my choices private. Even if I have to say a little white lie here or there, um, I just wouldn't share my choices because protecting your energy in the lead up to birth, and this goes for all birth, um, is imperative. So I, yes, I would definitely free birth if that's where I felt the most comfortable, but I wouldn't shut off those options to go to the hospital if I deemed it necessary. My intuition was telling me that's where I needed to be. And if that was where I needed to be and felt the most comfortable giving birth, then I would definitely hire a private midwife to come to the hospital with me. Okay, I feel like we have covered everything, I hope anyway. So to wrap up today's episode, my key pieces of advice. And I'm going to make this more specific to mums with multiples because obviously this is what this episode is about. Boy, there's so much. But if you're pregnant with twins and free birth is off the cards for you, please get a doula. Get someone that can advocate for you in the hospital. Get someone who has experienced twin birth. Hire a private midwife if you can. Um, 
and bring them with you into the hospital so that you've got someone who aligns with the birth choice that you want there to advocate for you. Um, do your research. I know it's hard to find research on physiological birth with multiples, but it's out there. You know, listen to positive twin birth stories. There's actually a podcast called, oh, I'll find out what it is and I will link it in the show notes, but it is specifically twin home births. Um, I will also link a, an incredible OB over in America who supports twin birth at home. He has some um, really profound wisdom to share on his platform. So I will link that in the show notes for you as well. Um, and remember that your body is growing these babies. So you need to trust that your body knows how to birth these babies going to get uncomfortable. That's inevitable. Um, especially if you go past that 37 week mark, you know, things really start to expand. So making sure that you have a healthy and strong mindset is going to be critical for your journey. So doing things that ground you, being out in nature, you know, swimming in the ocean, meditating, um, anything that brings you joy and peace within, do that on a daily basis. And spend time with your belly, spend time with your babies, connect to your intuition because your intuition is your greatest guide. Your intuition will let you know if there is anything wrong. So you need to be connected to that. And that will also serve you in your motherhood journey as well. Um, I also want to give some advice on postpartum because, you know, we put so much energy into our births. And then it's over and we enter this motherhood season and so many of us are depleted. I was one of them. That was one of my biggest lessons and eye-openers during my postpartum period with my twins because I always considered myself a really healthy person. And I was healthy, but I was also growing two humans and then breastfeeding them. So of course I was experiencing depletion, but I was completely unaware of it. Um, It was only because I'm in this space that I stumbled upon Dr. Oscar Serilak's book, The Postnatal Depletion Cure. That book needs to be in the hands of every single mother. It is a Bible for nourishment when it comes to your postpartum. I loved that book so much and it resonated so much with some of the experiences I was having that I couldn't explain that um, I actually was under Dr. Oscar Serilak's care while I was repleting myself. So please read that book. Um, and then find yourself a naturopath or, you know, a healthcare provider that specializes in women's health. Um, I will link my absolute favorite women's clinic in the show notes for you guys, Maya Mothers. You know, I've had them on the show before and you don't need to be living in Brisbane to utilize their services. Um, so just like birth, you know, we really need to be putting the work in during our postpartum also. And my last piece of advice, which doesn't really have anything to do with birth, is to take all the photos, take all the videos and document your belly because your 20s are going to want to see all of those pictures one day. And some of the greatest joys we have are sitting down and going through all of the baby photos and videos with our kids. Um, So document everything and don't feel bad about it. Pass that one on to your partner as well. (laughs) 
Well guys, I feel like I have covered as much as I possibly can. I'm sure I'm going to end this episode and think, oh my gosh, I should have said this and this and talked about that and that. But if you have any questions at all, my inbox is always open to my community. So please reach out. Um, if you like today's show, let me know what you think over on the PBA Instagram. I love reading your comments. And if you love PBA, we would be forever grateful if you could leave a review on your podcast platform or share this episode with a friend because all of those stats help the podcast grow and it means I can bring you more inspiring stories each week. Oh, I have enjoyed so much diving into my journey with you all and unraveling all the valuable lessons that I've learned along the way. I only hope that, you know, I've been able to provide you with some guidance and inspiration to take into your own journeys. Thank you all so much for coming on this vulnerable, emotional ride with me. And I will see you all next week for another episode.